Hey, it's Morgan. And Destiny. And this is now a Simu Liu Santa Clown. Oh, yeah, definitely. We had a fun week this week, deep diving into the MCU and losing our minds over uh, Simu Liu. Yeah, we did. And as like a MCU fan, it's been my dream to, to do this today. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm ready. I have to say that I think this has been my favorite topic to research so far. Um, not just because it involved Marvel, but there was just so much to unpack in an industry that really has a global impact. Yeah, so do you want to know what else I did? Oh yeah, definitely. So, I will tell you after the break. Alright, so we're back. And get this. Okay, so I did a little bit of statistics taking throughout the whole MCU. So... Here's what I found. There are 240 characters in the MCU universe that have been That's introduced with names. 40 of those characters are East Asian or of East Asian descent, like okay. the actor plays them, which makes up about 16% of the total Marvel characters. Mm -hmm. The Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings cast includes for about 29 credited actors. So this is a little bit different. Like this is how many people are credited, not how many people have, who have been introduced to us with names. So outside of that, there have been a total of 13 other East Asian characters within the main 26 movies and three Disney Plus shows as of today when we're filming November 19th. This list doesn't include any South Asian characters like uh, Flash from the Spider-Man movies, or Kingo from Eternals. And yeah, so I just want to get into like the rest of this because this is very yeah. interesting. Benedict Wong, play, who plays Wong in the Doctor Strange films, has the most film appearances with four films and two upcoming appearances. Palm Clementif, who plays Mantis, play, is in second place with three films and two upcoming appearances. Ned Leeds, played by Jacob Batalon in the Spider-Man films, comes in third with three films and one upcoming performance. And last place is Hogan, played by, and if I say this wrong, I'm so sorry, Tadanobu Asano. He's from the Thor franchise. He has technically been in all three Thor projects, but he was killed off in Thor Ragnarok, so he will no longer be making any appearances. Maybe. Maybe. Because, you know, Marvel, we know how Marvel never, never really kills off a character. But with all that being said, Jimmy Woo, played by Randall Park, actually has the most total appearances with six. He's been in one Ant-Man film, the Ant-Man and the Wasp, mm -hmm. and then he's been in five WandaVision episodes, technically giving him six. Then, of that list, there's been two films that have been directed by people of Asian descent. Mm -hmm. There's Destin Daniel Creighton, who did Shang-Chi and Legend of Ten Rings, he is American-born, half Japanese. I think he's from part. He's also from Hawaii. Mm -hmm. And then we have the Oscar-awarded Chloe Zhao, who did Eternals. And she is Chinese, born in China, but has lived in America for so long and does have American citizenship. Interesting that both of those are brand new films. Brand new films. Yeah. Yeah. Simo Liu as Shang Chi has the most screen time with one hour and 33 minutes 
and Alita Ogord, played by Michelle Yeoh from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, has the least amount of screen time with 12 seconds. I timed it. <laughs> and then both Jimma Chan and Michelle Yeoh have each played two different characters on two different occasions. Jimma Chan is in Eternals as Cersei and is in Captain Marvel mm-hmm. as Minerva. And Michelle Yeoh is in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 as Alita Ogord and Yingnan the auntie mm-hmm. in Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Did a little more war digging. <laughs> so I found out this is what I could find off of like the internet. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find everybody's ethnicities, but this is how it breaks down. Of all of the actors that I could find, 13 of them were of Chinese descent. Six of them are from mainland China, three are from Hong Kong, one is from Canada, two are from the Americas, and two are from Britain. Great, great Britain. Mm-hmm. Or hold British citizenship. Or yeah. yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Five of them are of Korean descent. One's from three are from America, one is from South Korea, one is from France. And it's Pomp Limitif, and she's mixed with uh, Russian, French. Mm-hmm. Then there's two Malaysian actors, but they primarily work in Chinese films, and that's where they got their recognition. There's two actors of Japanese descent, one that is from Japan, and the other that is mixed with Cantonese Scottish. Mm-hmm. I've never heard that mixture before. I've heard of it before. And there is one Vietnamese American actor and two Filipino American actors. Lastly, (laughs) I'm just gonna give like a rundown of the characters that we have. So we have Dr. Helen Cho. She's the doctor that builds Ultron's body. Mm -hmm. She's the one that wants to sleep with Thor. Yeah. Oh yeah. Understandable, sis. (laughs) You've got you've got Wong from Doctor Strange. Hogan, who's Thor's friend Mm -hmm. from all three Thor films, he's dead. Dead. Um, there's Mantis, who's known for Guardians of the Galaxy, but she's been in the later Avengers mm-hmm. films, so Infinity War, uh, Endgame. There's Alita Ogord, Guardians Volume 2, Minerva, Captain Marvel, Cersei from Eternals, Gilgamesh from Eternals, Ned Leeds from both the Smart Spider-Man films, uh, Casey, he's our newest addition outside of the film. He is in um, Loki on Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have, there is a Black Widow who like is credited, yeah. who is East Asian, even though she's not Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. Um, we have Jimmy Woo from Ant-Man and the Wasp and WandaVision. Then you've got two other little cool characters. This is very interesting. You have Dr. Wu and then Dr. Wu Jaki. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but they're from Iron Man 3. Mm. Uh, there's a really... Chinese release had a bonus scene and they added it in there with famous Chinese actors so that the film would have a better chance of being released yeah. in China, which I thought was very interesting. Which we see often, but we'll talk about that Yeah, <laughs> and then uh, lastly, you know, while they're not a part of the MCU universe, mm-hmm. although Marvel films have char- like the X-Men characters, there's a couple Asian people within that, like Blink, Yukio, Jubilee, Lady Deathstrike, and uh, Psylocke. So, yeah, now getting into the nitty-gritty of the episode, do you want to run down the rest of what we're doing? Yeah, let's do it. So, we're going to do an in-depth discussion over Shang-Chi, including a film background and a movie review, just getting our opinions on that. And then we're going to talk about tropes in the film, 
and tropes that the film hoped to, you know, kind of break up. Then we're going to talk about cast experiences while filming. And then we're kind of going to go into a little bit of individual research on the, the reception of Shang-Chi and then the fixing misrepresentations in the MCU. So, yeah. Another quick break? Yeah, let's do it. So, a little background on the film before we get into like our discussion mm -hmm. and review. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings is the 25th film of the MCU, and it released on September 3rd, 2021. It's the first film from Phase 4 to be released um, exclusively in theaters after the COVID-19 pandemic lockdown. It's the first Marvel film with an Asian lead, an Asian director, and a predominantly Asian cast. And the quick synopsis is that, you know, from IMDb, this is what it says, Shang-Chi, the master of weaponry-based kung fu, is forced to confront his past after being drawn into the Ten Rings organization. So I guess, like, you want to get started with, what did you think of the film? Like, what did you like? Yeah. Or before we get into what we didn't like, what did you like? So I loved the film, personally. Um, I thought it did a good job of bringing in aspects of Chinese culture mm -hmm. in a way that is less problematic than it had been introduced before within mm -hmm. the MCU. Uh, I mean, there's still a little bit that needs to be fixed with the way things were done, but it was beautiful. Like the, the, the way it was filmed, it was beautiful. Mm -hmm. Like there was so much beautiful scenery and there was so much attention to detail. So much. It was like literally insane. Like watching the behind the scenes yeah, and seeing how much they put into the, yeah, like yeah. the, the scenes, uh -huh. insane. I loved the intermixing of Chinese and Chinese American culture, lore, mythology. Yeah. Like I loved the um, Asian American hip hop and the traditional Chinese mm -hmm. music. I loved like the mythological creatures, mm -hmm. the food dogs, and like the nine tailed yeah. fox spirits. And like I was like, this is all stuff that you read in, in like in myths, and it's here. And I just thought that that was really nice and I just loved how it had this balance of like Asian mm -hmm. as in like Chinese in Asia and then you've got like Chinese American mm -hmm. Asian American stuff and it found like this really cool way to juxtapose Sean's like position and like figuring out himself is like by juxtaposing his sister who was like the identity of China and then Katie the identity of like yeah. Chinese American and I, I really, really liked the balance of using Mandarin and English. Like, yeah. even though there has been some critiques brought up about how the translation that is put into the movie loses a lot of meaning because yeah. it is, it lose, it's hard to translate mm -hmm. from Mandarin to English. I really appreciate the fact that we did not see Asian characters who were in China. Yeah. Like part, most of the majority of the movie set in China. Right. It was more, they were speaking more in their native tongue than mm -hmm. they were in English. And yeah, I really appreciated that. That a blood debt has to be paid by bloodline hit different yeah. in yeah. Chinese, in Mandarin. It, it really different. did. It did. And he said it and I was like, period. <laughs> yeah. And then there, there's the comment about the rice. It was like, uh, he's like, I've lived the, his father is like, I've lived a thousand years yeah. or something. But the way it was translated wasn't really accurate from what was being said. Yeah. So that's a whole issue. But 
I, I think that's like just I think the people the general. people who watched it that understood Mandarin really, really, really appreciated it. Mm-hmm. And you know, it, it, it gave was effort made. Yes, yes. Yeah, I also really love that this film maybe we can talk about it a little bit when we get to the tropes, but I really loved how this film to me inherently was not like a film about Asian people mm-hmm. being Asian. It was like a film about like a family. It was a film about like reflection and self-identity mm-hmm. and grief and addiction. I don't know if you yeah. quite figured it, but like I was thinking about like how the dad, the rings, the dad and the rings kind of in my mind was like it's like an addiction. drugs and addiction. It's addiction to power. It's addiction to power. Yeah. Yeah. But the way I don't know, the way I took it was like the the father, the rings were like drugs yeah and that the father was an addict that was in the process of recovering and then the mom died and then he relapsed and like the drugs kind of played a role in like the how he raised his children yeah and then at the end like he realized that his addiction quote-unquote is was wrong and then what he thought was wrong Mm -hmm. and that he had to put his kids first which resulted in him dying Mm -hmm. Which, sorry, spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to put a spoiler warning on that one. Well, spoilers. Um, but no, I, I feel like the movie... Also, can we talk about the cast? I the cast mean, was great. We had hot character after hot character. And I was like, yeah, listen. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then, talking about... It really broke down. I mean, this is a trope thing, but the asexualization of men, like we get that scene with Shang-Chi where he takes off his shirt. See, the thing is, I had, I had a little bit of a problem with the shirt scene. I didn't mind the shirt scene. But, like, I had a slight, like, I don't know. Really? Because I felt like it was, like, and it's not. it wasn't even the fact of him being Asian. It was just, like, my issue with shirt scenes, shirtless yeah. scenes yeah. in general, because it felt like, it was scripted, yeah, but, and it didn't feel like it, it fit the moment. But also, are you a Marvel movie if you don't have that shirt? Exactly. Same. Kevin so, Feige puts it in the contract. Yeah. 100%. So, I mean, it 100%. kind of like, I was glad to see that he got his shirtless moment. Love that. I mean, him. like every other Marvel character, yeah. Marvel man. I also loved a moment that I loved and I thought was so funny was at the end when Trevor was like, I'm not a threat. Yeah. <laughs> That is perfect. I love how they pulled him into the movie because based off of the past where he's played the character who was like a whitewashed version. Kind of like they addressed in the whitewash. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they were addressing that by bringing him in and making him play that character. Mm -hmm. And so it's addressing the past. Yeah. Saying, oh, this was not okay. And Mm -hmm. here's where we are now. Yeah. I really appreciated that. I also really liked... There's two things that I really liked that were more from, like, the perspective of, like, the filmmaking, mm-hmm. which was, there was a couple things where I noticed where they paid homage to. So, I don't know if it was just you, but the yellow shoot, suit that he wore when he was a teenager training mm-hmm. reminded me of Bruce Lee in yeah. Game of Death, like, that traditional yes. Chinese, like, the not Chinese suit, the traditional, like, Tri- yellow suit mm-hmm. with the stripes. Um, I didn't love, but loved the way that they pulled in, like, the treatment of the sister and like how that like that's a real mm-hmm. thing in Chinese culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved the Chinese fantasy genre called wuxia. Apparently, that's how it's said. Um, 
it's like a film style where you use martial arts through elemental building like mm. air bending and earth bending and that's like a traditional like thing that they use in chinese films mm. and i also loved this is not kind of related to like china but i just love that the film always showed like trauma through the perspective of sean mm. and how there was a scene they were talking about how like the the when when the father they go after the guy after he, they kill him out mm. and when they go into like the little bingo parlor the the mahjong parlor and they're like looking at oh yeah when he goes in and it's from his it's height. from his perspective and his height yeah so when the scene wraps you see it from mm. his perspective and i thought that was just like once again the attention to the, the detail. attention to detail and also i am gonna say it Jialing, the sister. That girl. That she girl. was an incredible character. She we is that girl. We get to see a very strong male lead, juxtaposed, whatever, by two very strong females. Yeah. And I mean, okay. Not and the a, mama. The mama the mom. was that girl. And I mean, I'm going to go for it and say that I know after, but based on the discussions that we have, how we feel about Aquafina. Mm-hmm. But she didn't, she didn't do in this movie, I felt like she was a really strong character. She was, I have, I have some issues with her character a little bit, yeah. and we'll get into that in a second. But um, I didn't hate her in this yeah. film. And I mean, we see two, we see strong women. Uh-huh. So much in this film. And that's something very much like as part of a Chinese culture that's not really like. Yeah. But we see strong women and it's incredible to see such a strong male character surrounded by strong women. Strong I mean, across the board. Yeah. The mama was if you don't die, go out like that. And I love that we get to see how much his mom meant to him. Yeah. And just the beauty, like every scene that his mom was in, she was captivating. It was beautiful. Carried the scene. And it really was like they were paying homage to what she meant to Mm -hmm. him in his development. And you really get to see that in the way the the scenes are. Like, she just glows. Like, she's... She she carried every scene she was in. Yeah. So, um, I guess that's getting through what we liked. Let's get into what we didn't like. I didn't... I didn't like the character of razor fist and i'm gonna put a caveat to that there's a lot of things that i didn't like watching the film that i came to have a little bit more appreciation for once we watched the making of documentary but like i just felt like what was the point of having white people in the film that was that was my my first thought Mm -hmm. then that kind of thought went to like why waste the character of death dealer Mm-hmm. in favor of Razor Fist. Then it was like, also, what was up with like the erasure of other races? Mm-hmm. Not to be like, oh, like it's about, it's about race. And I get that the film is like about Asian representation, mm-hmm. but it's like you still actively put other white people, people in the mm-hmm. film. You're in San Francisco, and I know that there's more than just... I know that the Asian community is very strong in San Francisco, but there's also more people. And what happened to other people within the Asian diaspora, Mm -hmm. which I thought was maybe, maybe, you know what I'm saying? Like instead of Florian (laughs) plays Razor Fist, why not have like some 
you know, Indian guy in it, mm-hmm. in that role? Or, like, why did it have to be him, I guess, in a sense? Yeah, I, I was pretty hung up on Razor Fist. I not a fan of that character. Like, I get it. But like you said, mm-hmm. there were other characters like Death Dealer. Like the- he was such a wasted character. And they hyped him up in the promo. They and that's did. what made me mad. Because, and then when I did my research for my thing we'll talk about later, um, he's like a really cool character. Yeah. And he is actually like one of the reoccurring villains mm-hmm. for John. Yeah. Chong-Chi. And I... And we get this whole background story with Sean. They got and- beef. In the death and it's like we you know we don't that. need to explore that and maybe maybe it's coming up yeah well the thing is with razor fist did you have a chance to look at the deleted deleted scenes no so you can go like google the deleted scenes and apparently when Wu adopted razor fist on a trip to like romania adopt so that's his son oh my god he looks he thinks of him as a son like, yeah. I needed I needed that context. I needed, yeah, that context I felt like they just kinda of threw him in and they're like, here's this dude with a just, robotic arm. Like Yeah. I needed the context to know that that is his adopted son. And we got the context behind Death Dealer, but we didn't get the context right. behind Because my thing is is Shanshi and Death Dealer got beef. They do. Like from day dot. They do. They've got beef with each other. They have so much Why beef. did he have to die? Yeah, and then I didn't get that one. I thought that was the biggest mistake yeah. of the film. I also think that me like is having the white people in the film for financial purposes. I think it is. Yeah, I could I could see that. I think the only white person that I understood was Trev. But, uh, yeah, and I think Sarvin. Sarvin. Yeah. Yep. I think that made sense dealing with the past representation, but. I'm like, and the one shot that the All Hail the King one shot, mm-hmm. where they said that Win Wu wanted his name back, and mm-hmm. that's why he's there. I'm just that made sense. Context, got check, it. Understood, got it. Yeah, something I on on another note, something else I had a kind of issue with after doing some research was the dragon. I thought the dragon was beautiful. Don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. um, but understanding how sacred the dragon is in Chinese culture, mm-hmm. it kind of is out of place that they would put the dragon in mm-hmm. the film and use it in the context that they did. Now, does the dragon play more of a role in the... I didn't do too much research into the like the actual run of the comics, but does the dragon play... I think I... the dragon plays a little bit more of a role in the comics yeah. itself than it does, like... Yeah. It, the, it the, plays... the history lore of Chinese or Chinese mythology. It does play more role, um... I believe in the comics from what I was understanding when I researched it, but a lot of um, criticism has came out of the fact that they used it just the context in which the dragon juice doesn't make much sense because like of what the dragon symbolizes and stands for. Mm. And I know like we're talking about um, the the city that they were in that that's like their dragon mm-hmm. and how what this the dragon symbolizes to them. Mm-hmm. And that, like, I guess I get that, but also it kind of felt a little bit Orientalist to, like, throw yeah. a dragon in. But then also then I think of, like, Avatar The Last Air. Like, when I think of, like, American-made mm-hmm. projects with Asian people in it, I guess it is Orientalism. But, like, Avatar The Last Airbender's got this whole episode about dragons mm-hmm. that kind of not necessarily serves the same purpose, but it's, like... yeah. 
it's the spirit animal that's connected to the firebenders. Yeah. And this dragon in this film is connected to the the the, the culture the culture of tallow. Yeah. So I get it. <laughs> I I get it. I just think that I get it, but then again, I, I don't. I I think they're. I think the presence, like you talking about the dragon yeah, yeah, yeah. and using pictures of it, like the postcard that has the dragon on it and stuff. I thought that made a little bit more sense. Yeah, but throwing the actual dragon in mm-hmm. and it's like not really even a dragon. It's kind of more like a sea monster because it comes out of the water and it... Yeah, so do, do we just classify that as a sea, a, sea, a sea dragon? I guess. That would be... Why did I stutter something? <laughs> that would be my guess. I just... When you look at the bigger context, like, and you, like, will research yeah. what it, I mean, it just kind of doesn't make sense yeah. to throw the dragon in there. Another thing that I didn't like, and again, I came to appreciate it more from the Assembled documentary, mm-hmm. was Sean wearing Jordans. Oh, my gosh. At In the final battle. Yeah. It wasn't that he was wearing Jordans. It was that he was wearing Jordans in the final battle. Mm-hmm. Because I was like, that is not appropriate footwear. <laughs> This that is not that is not the yeah. kind of shoes you want to wear into battle. Yeah. But then they were talking about in the in the other one, and we'll talk about that in a second. They were talking about how the shoes they kept the shoes to keep his bit of American identity. Mm-hmm. Again, needed context to that. If they would have had like maybe just a mention like a line, line drop. Yeah. In there about oh like these are my favorite shoes. Yeah. And then he's got him on the final battle, then I get it. Also, kind of that's kind of a stereotype about Asians and wearing Jordans. Like it's a thing. Like it's yeah. kind of a, a little bit of a stereotype to be like a, a sneaker culture in uh Asia is very big. Yeah. There's a really good documentary, I think, on Vice. If I'm not mistaken. Also trying it's to very good. I did okay, so do you want me to get into my issue with the shirtless scene? Yes. So I think that like I just don't love the fact that like Kevin Feige uses it as a way to like bring in female audiences mm-hmm. because they seem so forced. And I just don't love a forced moment in a film. Mm-hmm. Like I and I think I've talked about this before, that like I like to be immersed in the film. Mm-hmm. And if you do something so just like unnecessary, it takes me out of it. Mm-hmm. And it was like, hey Sean, take off your shirt. Like <laughs> Nobody else. Nobody else has their shirt off. Yeah, they're like, you need to take off your shirt for this fight. Nobody else has their shirt off. Yeah. What like Wong and um, a, a abomination didn't have their shirts off. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. For you to be like, just, just take off your shirt. Mm-hmm. I just didn't feel like. I mean, I didn't hate it. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I thought it was fine. <laughs> yeah. But I just thought that like, I don't know. So I actually want to just the I can't remember his name, but he's the mat like the master. Gung uh gung, gungbo. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just quickly had to go that. No, let me let me look justice. Ahead. He deserves justice because he that scene. I mean, not I mean, I guess we've already kind of spoiled yeah. the movie, but that fight scene where he dies. Yes. I was like justice for him because oh, that boy. he did not deserve that. So I also have a problem. With him dying and Katie taking the shot. Yes. Yes. And I, I didn't want to bring it up until we got to the tropes, but this bothered me. Yeah. Because I was like, she just learned. Yes. Why is she the one that taking the shot? It's like the magical MacGuffin shot. 
and like the character that can do no wrong, mm-hmm. like um Ray from um, Star Wars, yeah, the sequels. Yeah. It was like she already knows what to do, mm-hmm. and I don't like when the character has a character flaw. Like what I would have loved more is if Katie would have tried to take the shot, missed it, missed it, and he hit it. Yeah, like it just didn't. And I just had a. Yeah, I, I, I had an issue with that scene, too, because I, I was yeah. like, she, this is not realistic. Like, she would not She just learned. And but the thing is, and I guess we can get into the trope of it, but I just didn't like how um, it seemed like only Asians from Asia and Asians, Chinese people from China could fight mm-hmm. and that Chinese Americans couldn't, mm-hmm. which I, I didn't get but then i also get that like there is definitely like a cultural indifference differences between being in asia and being in america so i i got that but i also was just like you should that seems kind of like backhanded to also then just to say only people from china Mm -hmm. are the ones that know how to fight yeah there was also kind of this thing about the comment is made by wen wu about Katie, her not being connected to her Chinese, her Chinese culture. Yeah, and I think that when we're talking about a movie that is supposed to be Asian Chinese yeah. American representation, that was a dig to me because there are so many but Chinese also, Americans also, who are not. I also get it though. I get it, but it also like. That is such a sore spot for so many people who are Chinese American. Because that that happens to African Americans. Yeah. And I think that that's why I understood and that that part wasn't as much of a problem for me was because people always try to negate the difference, mm-hmm. the differences in African Americans not being able to connect to their roots, which is something that I've heard time and time again. Mm-hmm. And so I get that there's always like this beef between you and other mm-hmm. of your same race even though you're different ethnicities yeah but then again it's just very like we're tired of yeah. having the conversation that's what like, that's why black panther is lower on my list of mcu films is because it's like i'm so tired of having this discussion about the differences between african americans mm-hmm. and africans from africa i'm so tired yeah. i'm so over it like at the end of the day, we're all black. Yeah. <laughs> at the end of the day, the, we're all Chinese. It just it just kind of felt like a dick to me because, like, at the end of the day, she is she does is Chinese. She's Chinese. I mean, like, at the end of the day, she is, and like that. She's com- Chinese. She just happens to be from America. In that comment, maybe it was to represent the attitudes about Chinese Americans mm-hmm. in China. Like, I understand that that's a very mm-hmm. prevalent sentiment that Chinese Americans are not real yeah. Chinese. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But it just it for me as not even a I'm not obviously not Chinese, <laughs> don't obviously don't have any connection. But it just it felt like a dig to me, and I yeah, was yeah. like, why? Yeah. Like why was that? Why was that comment made? Yeah. So I mean, I thought it was, I understood it, but I also it kind of bothered me a little mm-hmm. bit. But you got into some tropes. Yeah. And I know I kind of jumped on your bandwagon a little bit. But do you want to get into? your tropes that you did research on? Yeah, I definitely like to get into it because let me tell you, when they sought out to make this movie, the first thing they did 
was they created a list mm -hmm. of stereotypes and tropes that exist in film that they wanted to break down mm -hmm. in this movie. So kind of on the surface level, and then we'll get into like ones that we previously talked about. Mm -hmm. One of the big ones was the trope that Asian women can't drive. I love that they squashed it. Yes. And so we see this squashed but by Katie. Katie driving. And actually in preparation for this role, Aquafina took drifting courses. Mm. And so literally was like submerged in drifting courses. But we see her drive multiple times throughout the film in both a car and a bus. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the battle scene with the bus, she's driving she while that's driving. going on. And then oh, like, go ahead, baby driver. <laughs> <laughs> and so she's really the only character we see driving. Yeah, yeah. And so I thought that was really interesting to see. Um, she does some pretty cool, she has really cool action shots, which mm -hmm. was really cool to me to see like a female doing these cool action shots. Yeah. And she's got some skilled maneuvers and it's just great. So I would say they definitely squashed that one. They did a good job with that mm -hmm. one. Um, also, the whole trope of all Asians, no Kung Fu. This is kind of twofold. We I see, liked it, but I didn't like it. Yeah, we yeah. see it broken down once again by Katie, who's kind of portrayed as like not having any skills and not really knowing Kung Fu. And then we also see fight scenes in which Asian characters, it's not just Asian characters involved in mm -hmm. Kung Fu and fighting. See, but then I also took that one as, like, again, watching the Assembled, and we'll talk, get into that in a mm -hmm. second, uh, was that, like, it wasn't just, like, Kung Fu. Like, yeah. It wasn't, like, I feel like Kung Fu is the very, like, Americanized yeah. version of karate. Yeah. Um, and, like, from the documentary, you learned that it's, like, they it's did like it very well based off of different styles of yeah to create like a dance it's like almost like a dance it's like a dance and they were talking about how like um simu they had to create simu style yeah of quote unquote show kung fu yeah like whereas like bruce lee had his own type of mm -hmm. style of fighting jackie chan has his own style of fighting they had to create like a type of fighting for simu yeah which i didn't know was like a thing yeah but i, I was really like, yeah. interested in learning that then i think also in this trope where i'm kind of mixed about it is that we still see a male a male lead actually two very powerful male leads win mm -hmm. Wu and shang who their power is basically kung fu like it's mm -hmm. centered around their martial arts skills and obviously this is it comes out of roots from the comic yeah and which the comic's problematic as we kind of discussed already yeah but you know it kind of like i see what they were trying to do but you have a martial arts based yeah. movie and you're trying to say you're squashing the mm -hmm. the kung fu i don't think you can escape it though yeah the, that's, that's the something truth. that you just can't yeah that's what the comic is based on which has problematic roots but the, i guess i guess it's them trying to in a yeah. way reclaim it yeah so I, I, I think that's more what they were trying to do they were I trying because it it's like you can't really they were trying what they were trying to do was use martial arts or kung fu in a meaningful way rather mm -hmm. than just throwing it in mm -hmm. so yes they did that yeah so i see how that was successful i like, like that they put it. weight behind it yeah like it wasn't like oh he just happens to know kung no fu. it was like he trained his it whole was like life. when wu has been conquering yeah places for thousands yeah. of years and he's getting older 
also to avenge mm-hmm. his wife, he then teaches his son. Mm-hmm. I and then the sister, because she wasn't able to be taught, she learned on her own. I did think that was that powerful. Was like, okay, the now use, I can like appreciate it. Yeah. The use of kung fu by women, Asian women specifically, yeah. was powerful. Because as well. it's like also like compared to Rush Hour. Yeah. Right. Jackie Chan played a cop. Mm-hmm. Why does the cop need to know kung fu? Yeah. You know, like that yeah. that doesn't click. Mm-hmm. But this, it l- at least it makes sense. Yeah. No, so I think it was more about reclaiming that mm-hmm. than it was squashing that. Yeah. Then we also have the trope, um, all Asians wear conical hats, which are like the mm-hmm. the, the rice hats, I guess is mm-hmm. what they are known as. Um, so. Do you think that was on purpose? Because I think it was just maybe a costume. Not saying so, that I don't disagree with your yeah. trope. So, here's what I have to say about this in this movie. There are no Asians randomly wearing a hat. Mm-hmm. So. We have a few scenes where their mom specifically is wearing the conical hat. We see mm-hmm. her with the mask and the hat. Mm-hmm. That seemed more intentional based on the costuming and the setting. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't random. Mm-hmm. It was more as a, this is this culture. This yeah. is, so it, it had ties to the culture. Yeah. It wasn't just for comedy purposes, this right, character right. was wearing this hat. Right. So I think, that trope is, they did do a good job in making sure mm-hmm. that, like, when it was happening, it made sense in the context. Mm-hmm. So, I'm not mad at it. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people are not mad at it either. Yeah. Um, like, that, to me, seems like more of like a nitpick. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. But, like, of all the problems, like yeah. that seems like to be the least of and then we also have the trope that Asians can't speak English, and when they do, they can't speak it well. It's very broken. I love that everybody was, like multilingual multilingual yeah it was not broken no it was it was they were like flawless at different languages they were speaking mandarin flawlessly Mm -hmm. and then english flawlessly and we also get but i also also loved that when like katie was talking you could hear the Mm americanness in what she was saying and then while like jialing and when Wu and the auntie were talking you could still hear their Chinese accent mm-hmm. without it being like yeah broken English. And so something when casting the film that they were very specific about is when they were casting Jolling, they wanted a character, they wanted an actor, actress who was from China, mm-hmm. who, you mm-hmm. know, roots were in China, spoke Mandarin. It was their primary language. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously she speaks English. But they were very specific about their casting choices. Yeah. And so, yeah, but... We do see Asians who are bilingual, and it's also mentioned that Shang is multilingual, knows multi- multiple languages, and is very good at them. So I think we squashed that one. In yeah, this. I think that one squashed. I thought it was like the casting was yes, impeccable. It was. I've never. I don't think I've ever seen like a better casting MCU. No, though. it was so well. Like it was so thought out. So too. thought out. And it wasn't one of those where like. They casted the lead and everything was focused mm-hmm. around him. It was like, we're casting these people because no. they're right for the role. And somebody said that they felt at times that, like, even with Simu being the lead character, lead actor, he even took a backseat to some of the other characters. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, he did. I do. I feel like it wasn't, yes, it's Shang-Chi, mm-hmm. but I feel like we really got to see the other characters. Yeah. And I, I really liked that. Also, you can't waste Tony Leon and Michelle Yeoh. No. You know what I'm saying? You can't expect them to take no. to take a vaccine. And also I love that on set they were all like fangirling oh over God. them. They were like, oh my god. <laughs> but anyway, very she looks so good to be 
I mean, like, let's so good. And I kind of like at the beginning, I was like, oh, he really looks good for his age because the girl that Fowl Chin is younger, mm-hmm. the one that plays his wife. She's really young. She's younger. Yeah. And so I was like, he looks good. Yeah. To be 59. Yeah. And then, um, kind of going into the tropes we've already discussed, we see Xiaoling as kind of so there's debate about whether she's the dragon lady or the damaged ninja girl. So I think we first kind of see her as a dragon lady. We see her as a uh, in our first interactions with her or the fight scene with Shang. We see her as kind of this dominant woman who is like dangerous and you know she's skilled in martial arts. She has no empathy for anyone, and kind of we see at first that it's kind of led to believe that she doesn't really have any empathy for her brother mm-hmm. because of their. And it's later revealed that she feels that way because of their past. So then as the story progresses, we progresses, we learn about her background and the trauma she has. Mm-hmm. And I think that I don't think that trauma's out of place considering we see Shang Chi also presented with trauma. That's why I can't say that she's a she yeah. is a damaged ninja girl because it's not just her. Yeah. Because I feel like in the damaged ninja girl, it's everybody around her is fine. Yeah. And just that one character's got damaged. Everybody <laughs> was mentally screwed. Yeah. And then also she kind of doesn't fit into that because that whole never really the star of the movie where I kind of feel like she has her moments. And I also think that in my Mm -hmm. opinion, they are setting them up to be a brother sister duo in the MCU. I'm ready for it. And so I really, really think that while there are hints of this trope Mm -hmm. with her character, I don't know that yeah she encompasses this because of the way that shang chi is yeah. presented beside her well the thing is like can you even really call her a dragon lady because she wasn't a villain yeah she wasn't a villain and then also she was never none of the characters were overtly sexualized mm-hmm. in the world like and i think that that the thing is also like how do you feel about the katie sean thing i think that they're setting them up to yeah. be together I do too. but like was that the point of them not having them together or like was the like was was making was there, there a point in making him asexual or like was that like I think I, I didn't take it as that no no I think the end of the movie really set it up the, for them the, to get together yeah yeah so I I don't think it was them portraying him as asexual I think it was more like he's got other things to work focus on right now let's work with yourself yeah <laughs> yeah and then moving into Wen Wu Shang Chi's mm-hmm. father we kind of see in the background of this character who is referred in the comics as Fu Manchu. Yeah. I'm excited so, to talk about him because I'm gonna talk about him later. So kind of going into the villain trope and the Fu Manchu trope with this one, uh we do see when we're built bent on world domination and he's kind of presented as sinister and mystical through the like the power of the rings. Mm-hmm. It's kind of all mystical and stuff. But I will say the way that they paint Wu as kind of to wear this thing where you get kind of some kind of empathy in there because they have to make them a real person yeah and so it i think they stepped out of this trope yeah they built on the fact that this is how he was portrayed in the past yeah but here's the depth and the meat behind this mm-hmm. character and here's why he's not they did the make villain. world domination his whole you yeah. know like they gave him purpose behind yes. that and it I was mean, like avenging his wife well they even said in the beginning that like 
he yeah he was hell-bent on destroying the world to begin with but then he, but then he got really like what else was he gonna conquer mm-hmm. number one number two he started to feel lonely mm-hmm. then he went to go to tallow met his wife then we yeah. get the rest of the movie so i felt like it was just very like we get why he is the way that he is yeah so i will say i don't see any explicit tropes in here i think if you reach you could make some connections but at the end of the day i think that if you could still make those connections mm-hmm. but also in the same way you can't make those connections without kind of breaking them down yeah so i feel like they did a good job in their tropes yeah. that they wanted to dismantle and, and i also think like having an asian director and an asian uh, the writer. head writer being asian also yeah. really helps with breaking down the mm-hmm. the tropes yeah um but yeah let's get into the cast what, the cast experiences I'm and the assembled so documentary yeah getting into the cast experiences and the assembled documentary mm-hmm. i think we watched both we watched that yeah and then each of us kind of like respectively did our own like investments in yeah. like cast interviews so so yeah something i want to talk about first was simu Liu made the comment that very early it was like one of the first things that was said um about how i used to do kids birthday parties that was kind of emotional and, i don't know yeah and <laughs> He used to drop up. He said that he used to dress up as Spider Man because he was Asian and he couldn't show his face. And since there were no Asian characters, he had to do a character with a full mask. Yeah. And so we really see his love for Spider Man, but also how much it means to him. And he was like, Shang Chi can show his face. And that kind of made me tear yeah. up. And he, he was like, his face is his face and he's out there. And like, he was yeah. like, it, it's really, you see, it's really not lost on him yeah. how much this means. And how much it's going to mean to kids. Like, yeah. I know personally, like, I know a couple kids, actually, that are Asian that actually yeah. went as Shang-Chi for Halloween this year. That's, like, special, though. Yeah. That's, like, a special thing. And, you know, a lot the writers and directors even talked about that in interviews, mm-hmm. how they um, wanted that for kids. But then I also thought it was interesting how, like, the film is about, like, inherently deals with third culture individuals Mm -hmm. and i loved that the main character is a person that deals with third culture Mm -hmm. and the writer david callahan and the director um dustin Dustin daniel creighton Mm -hmm. are all and even simu himself are all people that deal with third cultures Mm -hmm. um Two of them are from America, two of them are from Canada, or two of them are from America, one is from Canada. And like they have in interviews and even in the documentary talked about how like they don't fit in in China. Or Simo even talked about how he doesn't fit in in China. Yeah. Because he like his accent's a little bit different or that he like doesn't fit the typical look, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Oh, which I know that's something that you looked into. Yeah. But they like talked about how they didn't fit in there, but they didn't quite fit in in America and Canada. And that's kind of what the story is inherently about and i love that and it's really like the whole story is about a part something that's a big part in chinese stories it's about an yeah. in-depth search inward to find your quote-unquote mm-hmm. superpower and that's mm-hmm. a very common theme in chinese stories so we get to see that kind of brought to life in this story yeah. in such a, a way that's a very special to everybody who worked on it 
I love that the David Callahan, the writer, was talking about how he normally writes for Chris's. <laughs> yeah. And we all know the Chris's. Yeah, we know and the Marvel Chris's. And so that he really took a lot of pride in writing the story because yeah. he was writing his story. And he, he talks about that. He was like, it's the first time I'm writing a story in which I am, like, yeah. it, it's me. Like. Yeah. And so, you know, we see them talking about um, the history of the comic. Mm-hmm. And how it was created in the 70s during the Kung Fu craze. And it's not the most progressive source. And It was written by people who don't understand yeah. martial arts. And everybody that was working on it kind of came in knowing, knowing that mm-hmm. there had to be changes made. And then you see them kind of trying to figure out how these changes had to mm-hmm. be made. But then we also see they were kind of unsure coming into the project. Because yeah. they were like, Disney's and Marvel are taking on this Asian yeah. martial arts story. Mm-hmm. And where, where is it going to go? How is Disney going to want, and Marvel going to want you to play mm-hmm. this? Yeah. But I like to think they really had the freedom to do what. I, but. To, just to do it. Just take it and do what yeah. was right. And it, it came out so great. Yeah. So, you know, how like, I'm big into, like, clothing and fashion. And, mm-hmm. like, that's, like, my thing. That's what I went to undergrad for. I really loved when the costume designer was on the screen. Because oh. I love learning about costumes. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was so interesting how she was talking about when he, when uh, Sean is hiding in America, his style is very Americanized. And Mm -hmm. it serves the purpose of, like, hiding his identity. Blending in. And blending in. And so then when he gets to Talo, the costume is more Mm Chinese-inspired. And that, like, it's him opening up to his true self. And that, like, that's why that he had on the Jordans, because it was a part of him keeping his American identity as well as his embracing his Chinese heritage. And that also, like, the costume had the um, Chinese knot in it, which yeah. is used to signify the cycle of life and peace. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I was like, oh, that is not yeah. in the dragon scales. I thought all of the little pieces that went into the costume. Yeah. Was really nice. And I like that we're seeing traditional Asian wear attire in a way that isn't like ironic or it's like it's, it's so it's not racialized. Yeah, yeah, just like traditional Chinese clothing. It's just there. It's just there. I love the little Chinese wedding dress that his mom had on. Yes, I thought that was so cute. I was like, oh, yeah, that's your precious. And then I think, um, you know, just talking about. The idea that it came up in the documentary, and it's something I kind of wanted to hit on. Um, I don't I can't remember who brought it up, but they were talking about the perpetual foreigner concept and how it's mm-hmm. prevalent in the film. Mm-hmm. And it's like kind of like you know just to run through it again, the idea that you know in the context of Simu and just specifically in the context of mm-hmm. Simu, because I think that was the context that came up in. It's like you're not at home in Canada or the United States, but you also aren't at home in China because you don't really belong there. And we see this reflected Mm -hmm. very deeply in this movie. We see uh, the sense of not really being sure where you belong, and it kind of touches on the stereotype of the perpetual form. Yeah, so. I want to talk about Simu is the man manifested this. Yeah, he, he really manifested. Did. He this. did. He's, he, I know that he says like this wasn't the reason that he got the role, but like talk about manifestation. The tweet. Yeah. Like he, okay, Marvel, what's up? Yeah. Like I, I stand. I stand. We stand the yeah. king. Um, I think something for me that was 
I think, so important in showing what this was going to encompass his first introduction at Comic-Con. He came oh out gosh, yes. speaking I in Mandarin. I watched it live when it happened. Speaking in Mandarin. Loved it. And it really set the tone for a lot of it people is. on, like, this movie is serious. It's going to be the representation yeah. that Marvel has not had. I watched the interview with him this morning where he was talking about how he has never felt like an imposter before until that moment. Mm-hmm. Because he was, like, on the stage with, like, some Hank and Angela Jolie and Benedict Cumberbatch. Mm-hmm. And how he was like, I don't, I don't belong yeah. up here. He's, he's so down to earth. Yeah. But I didn't, like, going back to, like, what you were talking about with, like, the stylistic choices of the film. I loved that they, the bracelet, the ring, the ten rings yes. were based off of traditional Chinese martial arts training yeah. bracelets. And so, yeah, they moved away from the actual rings because of the whole yeah. Thanos thing. They didn't want to do yeah. the rings again because it was already something kind of done. So they decided to do, they were, they, they spent a long time trying <laughs> yeah, to figure do out. Do you want me to tell you what I also thought of? Okay, so you know at the end when the rings, they turn gold and they start like floating around mm-hmm. Sean's head? I thought of Sonic rings. Yeah. But then the it, also makes, it also makes me funny. It's funny because Sonic is a Japanese entity. Yeah. <laughs> like, let's, let's keep, let's keep that with yeah. Asian representation here mm-hmm. i love that i also like i have some deeper theories but you haven't seen eternals yet so we're not no it's okay you can unpack them i think that there's some like something going on with the ten rings and the ten eternals and there's i'm not i'm not gonna spoil it yeah. i'm not gonna do it and so um, um i also want to pull some stuff i watched a lot of interviews because i got very deep into like the cast experience yeah and um they really almost in every interview the characters talk like the the actors who played the characters talked about the representation and you know especially those actors and actresses who were not who were in the americas like the states or mm-hmm. canada specifically talked about growing up not having that representation and um simu liu actually makes the comment that you know you had uh, the only characters they really had were the ones who wore masks. Mm-hmm. And then you had the occasional Power Ranger, which is problematic. The Power Rangers, the history of the Power Rangers is problematic. Well, the thing but... is, is with the Power Rangers, I think there was, like, cultural differences mm-hmm. and a misunderstanding of yeah. culture. Like, the, what happened with the Yellow Ranger being yeah. Asian was, like, a miss. A yeah. miss. I don't think it was, like, on purpose. Yeah. I think it was more of, like, a oh, we don't quite understand that. Like, you know how people in other countries be like, oh, why are Americans always talking about race? Why are Americans always talking about race? And it's like, because America is built on race. Like, mm-hmm. the foundation of American is built on race. Yeah. So race will always play a factor. And other countries don't understand mm-hmm. that. And so, like, it was a big deal for us because that is something that we always have to mm-hmm. deal with. Yeah. Whereas other countries... You don't have to deal with it in Japan because that's where Power Rangers are from. Because everybody that's there is primarily Japanese. Mm-hmm. You have to deal with more like class differences mm-hmm. versus like racial differences. Yeah. Sorry, back up no, here. you're good. But they they all kind of speak on the representation, and but also it's been it was brought up by several of them that this movie it's not representation isn't just about seeing someone who looks like you, but it's about also seeing your culture. Mm-hmm. And I know we talked about interviews about um, where Simo has specifically spoken out about reclaiming Chinese food. And mm-hmm. so 
I think the film does a good job of showing this culture in a way that is mm-hmm. beautiful and yeah, very representative of like certain aspects of the culture. So it was nice to see like the cultural representation, yeah, not I, just the. I loved it. I mean, it's kind of like I talked about earlier, like with the mythology and you know them using like the five foundational elements within Chinese cosmology. Mm-hmm. You know, earth, wind, earth. <laughs> <laughs> Earth, water, metal, fire, and wood, yeah. and how like the elements live in harmony, and that was like the basis of Talo, and I thought that that was like was really powerful yeah. compared to like his father, and then we get into like the Tai Chi and the Wing Chun with the other like mm-hmm. pe- the other different different like regionalized martial arts styles. I just thought the whole thing was nice, yeah. and also something that I could have discussed and what I liked, but something that we see based on the way that the mother is portrayed that what the matriarchal figure means in Chinese culture Mm -hmm. because of the way that they show her like Mm -hmm. I mean we see just in the film alone we see scenes where she's present as being more warm Mm -hmm. and then scenes where we're talking about her death and specifically regarding um Wenwu um it's like dark and cold Mm -hmm. and so I think that 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 was something I mean, she also right. died wearing white. Yeah. And she's like... Ethereal. Yeah. Like, moms are the best. Yeah. Let's be honest. And, but yeah. And so, um, I think something that stuck with me was Daniel Critton. Critton, however you say his last name. Mm-hmm. Um, he makes a comment. He says, he hopes that Shang-Chi is a step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. But he says that if it's the end, if this is the end, if Shang-Chi's the end of this representation, then they have failed in what they wanted yeah, to I do. Yeah, I thought that was a really important quote that he said, and I thought that was real powerful. But do you want to take a quick break, and then we will get into, like, our individual research? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so for this week, we decided to do something a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And if it works out today, hopefully we'll keep it for the future. We'll see how it goes. Fingers crossed. Um, where we each decided to pick a topic that relates to both the film and our class. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, like, something that's got a little bit more of, like, academic research behind mm-hmm. it of a topic that deals with the overall concept of what we're talking about. So, basically, Destiny decided to look at the film reception towards the public and the Chinese release of the film and like the, I guess, contention about like how the film is perceived in China. Um, And then I decided to look at the misrepresentations of Asian representation within the Marvel Cinematic Universe as a whole and like how that started and why it exists and how we deal with it today. Um, so do you want to start? Yeah, I'll get started. Um, so like you said, for my research, I looked at the public reception of Shang-Chi and kind of in that wanted to talk about the Chinese release or lack thereof of Shang-Chi and perception amongst Asians. So kind of, first of all, for a little bit of context on the movie and its success thus far, um, as we've discussed, the film was directed by Destin Daniel Critton and written by David Callahan. Um, 
and you know both of them are biracial american they um are asian biracial and um so development on the film kind of started in 2001 but didn't gain traction until 2018 when david callahan and the other writers were hired um so we see the film grossed um 427.3 million dollars worldwide so far um i these numbers are not like up to today it was like from like last week when i did the research and it's the seventh highest grossing film of 2021 so far um it's the 22nd highest grossing film in the marvel universe rotten tomatoes gave the film an approval rating of 92 percent giving it it made it was like a 7.5 out of 10. Um, Metacritic's averaged the score of the film as a 71 out of 100, claiming it to have be like generally favorable. For audience scores, Cinema Score gave the film an A letter grade on a scale of A plus F. In post track reported 91% of audience members gave the film a positive score with 71% definitely recommending. So that's just a little bit about the film reception um worldwide excluding mainland china which we're gonna kind of get into so outside of the u.s the film has had a lot of success in a lot of global markets including um all throughout east asia but this is excluding mainland mainland china as it has not been received very well at all among this market population um, this has a lot to do with the restrictive film market in China. So a little bit about the film market in China, because I was trying to figure out why it hadn't been released in China. And a lot of it has to do with the history of the market. Um, so the, the Chinese government restricts what can be shown in China. They have literally in, like have censors that they are are employed like individuals that are employed in china that their whole job is to censor the market mm. um so they kind of control what can be shown in china and they have complete control over the film market so this is done with the purpose of giving the chinese government uh control over how asia can be depicted and especially how the government can be depicted and what's said about the chinese government and the communist party so basically, if you want your film shown in China, you have to address the demands of the censorship, which we see in films, which I'll talk about in a second. Um, a lot of critics of this method of censorship from China have argued that this is giving China a lot of control and leverage over Hollywood. And the fact that if you want your movie to be shown in China, which is such a big market, you have to put what they want into the scene. So they're kind of like film police. Um, we see a lot of movies in China that are censored either by having scenes removed or different or extra scenes added in. So we see this in Iron Man 3. Um, so this scene's added in for Chinese release. On the more extreme scale, um, a film may not even be allowed, allowed to be shown in China. So I was trying to keep it relevant to the MCU. So Iron Man 2 actually was not allowed to be shown in China. Um, it was like censored completely. It wasn't released in China. Another factor that plays significantly into this is China's pushback to Western influence culture, 
which is most strongly seen in censorship in fil of films and books, so much so that um, they have a quota set in place allowing only 34 films, foreign films, to be released in the country every year. Mm -hmm. So that's crazy. What does this mean for Shang-Chi? Um, as of October, Shang-Chi still hasn't been played in the Chinese box office. A couple of factors might play a role into this. It's very unclear in the research what actually plays a role in this because a lot of the articles are just from news sources and a lot of them are not really like what I would consider credible news sources. But I found research about the bigger picture of the Chinese box office and kind of included into here. So I'm kind of just theorizing. Um, but one thing that came up a lot was um, Simu Liu made specific comments about China in which he spoke out against the Communist Party. So I realized at this point we need a little bit of more background on him to understand uh, where this criticism is coming from and understand why China is not the biggest fan of him. Um, so Simu was born in China at the age of five. He immigrated with his parents to Ontario, Canada. And so he's openly spoken about his parents' experience in China, um, telling kind of telling the stories that he was told as a child and about how his parents were uh, treated and he actually compared China to a third world country and said people were starving and the Communist Party was kind of this agent of power and criticized the Communist Party. But he also talks about his parents' decision to leave China to give him a better future. Like that's kind of the context that came up in. And then he also has had several tweets in which he is calling out China specifically for its censorship. Um, he kind of said that China was immature and out of touch because of this. And, you know, China has openly criticized him for making these comments. Um, I know that if you go to find the video about where he spoke out about what his parents had to say, like, you cannot find the video anymore. And his publicist actually refuses to comment on anything that he said about China in the past. So if that tells you anything about China's reach and the fact that the links of what they're going to to make sure that this gets released in China. So let's discuss the importance of the Chinese box office and how it may hurt the success of Shang-Chi or how it actually does hurt the success. So for a quick comparison, Avengers Endgame earned $614 million just in mainland China alone, making it it's the highest grossing foreign film in China. Um, so China has one of the biggest movie, world's biggest movie markets outside of the U.S., which has become very essential to Hollywood's like film success. So not having access to that market, it's actually very damaging. And when we're talking about success of a movie, which is measured solely in the amount of money it makes, it is not good if you do not have access to that market. So the release of Shang-Chi in China could incredibly impact the money made off the film, considering the history of how well Marvel movies perform in China, with also the added cultural connection Shang-Chi brings, bringing in that Chinese culture. Interestingly, even though the film has not been released in China, there still is a heavy debate about the movie happening in China. People that have managed to view the film have deemed it, deemed it as like a good film for the most part. Um, we'll get on a little bit more into that in a second. But the nationalist tabloid Global Times, which is controlled by the Communist Party, published a commentary. And this commentary 
the comment I'm about to make is based off of translations I've seen of the I cannot read Mandarin or Chinese, like can't read the graphic, like the so this is based on what I've seen other news sources translating this as because I cannot find a way to translate this on their site, which is probably intentional. Mm -hmm. um, but they have made commentary about the racist origin of the characters of Shang-Chi in the comics, which we've already discussed, and we know it's very problematic. And they've expressed specific concerns about allowing the industry, so Marvel, that has portrayed Chinese people this way um, and basically insult Chinese people with their racist portrayal and allowing them to profit off of it with their current portrayal in Shang-Chi. So if we're being honest, this also comes at a time when China is experiencing widespread tightening of the film market. So, you know, all of this can be taken with like a grain of salt because I'm not really sure if it's this is contributing to it or it's just this bigger thing that China is restricting their market. Something that may play into the perception, the reception of Shang-Chi in China um, may actually just be Chinese beauty standards. Something I want to clarify by saying he's obviously very good looking, <laughs> yeah. as we've discussed. Yeah. So this is not a dig at him, but Simu Liu doesn't necessarily meet the standards. Um, there are beauty standards in China, and he's not someone the Chinese audience would necessarily want to see on their screen and go to the movies to watch. So... With the clarification that he's very good looking, um, compared to Chinese beauty standards, he's just an average looking Chinese man. Um, and their preference is some someone that kind of has a slimmer face, bigger eyes, less built. Um, like think of like a typical K-pop male when you're thinking of this, that's kind of the beauty standard. And you know, in comparison to the American market where we like to see the average man, which I'm putting in air quotes because our Marvel actors really average men. I mean, debatable, but we like to see the average man on our screen. That's just not what China, the Chinese film market is into, you know. Um, so we're also kind of lending ourselves here to the point that Hollywood keeps feeding China Chinese American movies, which don't necessarily click with Chinese audiences. So, you know, Hollywood movies, including Shang-Chi, are almost unilaterally focused on, um, you know, movies that are focused on Asian culture, Chinese experience. They're unilaterally focused on the Asian American experience, which is not of interest to the Chinese population because it's not their experience and it's not really relevant to them. Um, so we need to be careful in saying how great the film would be for Chinese individuals to view because it's not necessarily about them. Many individuals in China do feel this is it's riddled with Orientalism. Um, so yes, the movie has Chinese elements, but it's not Chinese. And it becomes a problem when the movie is being marketed as a Chinese film, which we've kind of discuss. It uses important Chinese element in a way that doesn't make sense, such as the dragon. And then, so yes, while there is good representation, it's representation for Asian Americans or for Asians who are a minority. So not necessarily Asians in Asia. And we need to be careful in universalizing the experience to 
Chinese and Asian audiences. So in the context of the comment made earlier, um, those individuals who in China who've said it's good are viewing it as good in the context of being an American movie meant to give representation to Asian American audiences. So off that tangent, um, just to kind of wrap up the whole discussion of what I have said, my discussion, there are many factors that contribute to Shang-Chi not being released in China. However, the fact that it has not been released has significantly impacted the revenue of Shang-Chi in comparison to other Marvel movies that have been released in China. So kind of why does this matter? There have been a lot of discussions about what this means for the future of Shang-Chi in the longevity of Shang-Chi in the MCU. And actually, that's been discussions that if it's not allowed to play in the Chinese market, will he be allowed to be in potential crossovers um, like the Avengers crossovers? I know people are kind of expecting him to be involved in that somehow. So we may not get to see those crossovers with Shang-Chi present if his presence is going to hinder the performance of the movies in the Chinese market. With that being said, I kind of will pass it to Morgan now to kind of go into about um, MCU misrepresentation. 2016, Marvel released their 14th film, Doctor Strange. Uh, and so I'll connect in the end. So just hold on I'm a second. Here. I'm hanging out. Uh, it's the story of neurosurgeon Stephen Strange going on a journey into the world of the mystic arts. And in an effort to address the Orientalism and racial stereotyping in the comics, Marvel Studios made some very interesting character choices, especially in particular to the Ancient One. In the comics, the Ancient One is the stereotype, is based on the stereotype of Fu Manchu. So that coupled on with the debates of Tibetan sovereignty, the director Scott Derrickson and some of the writers, including C. Robert Cargyle, made the decision to cast Tilda Swinton in the role and change it up so that it was now a Celtic mystic instead of a Tibetan Fu Manchu inspired character. Uh, later on in like some interviews I watched, the director made comments that he actually wanted to cast an Asian woman in the role um, but then he felt like that would be pandering to the dragon lady stereotype. Mm -hmm. um, but back kind of to what I was, my point is while trying to address the racial stereotypes with and not alienate the Chinese audience, the production team created another issue. They whitewashed an Asian character and also erased his co existence completely um, instead of trying to address and update the character. So the casting of Tilda, Tilda Swinton caused huge controversy for not only the film, but like this conversation also lends itself to how coded racism is embedded in the Marvel multimedia franchise and how the Marvel Cinematic Universe or the MCU is gonna, or is trying to address some of the misrepresentations of Asian and Asian Americans. So, again, probably wondering how all this relates to the research that I did. Um, when looking at how Marvel has retconned and fixed their misrepresentations of Asian people, we have to look at why and how these misrepresentations exist in the first place. So whether we'd like to recognize it or not, there's a lot of, there's overt racism, but there's even more covert racism within the franchise and its, and its fan base. So the foundation of comic books in general and Marvel comic comics is the notion of defending the American dream or whatever that is, is something we've talked about 
in class before and mm-hmm. it's just something that I have a problem with. In every film from its inception in 2008 to 2017 starred a white man in the leading role. And by doing this, Marvel pushes the idea that one, the American dream only applies to white men, two, that the only story worth telling is a story of white men, and three, that only white men can be heroes and save the day. Um, because of those films and they how they use the comics as source material, Marvel now in today's age has to confront the problems that they made themselves. Um, many of the early Marvel writers and like big comic book pioneers, um, like the creator Martin Goodman and writers like Stanley and Jack Kirby all came from Jewish communities in New York. And during the wartime years of World War II, these writers had personal vendettas against not- Nazis and would try to fight fascism and anti-Semitism through their comics. And while doing so, they would inherently ignore the racial tensions within the U.S., also by them being up north versus being in the south. Uh, additionally, in focusing on creating like anti-access powers propaganda, these writers would propagate stereotypes of Asian individuals, in particular to Japanese people, um, as they were a part of the access powers. Um, Marvel has also played into colorblind racism by ignoring the idea of race altogether. So in an NPR article that I found, it mentions a theory by Neil Schmitzky. He is a English professor at Cambrian University in Ontario, Canada. And he looks at the correlation between the X-Men and colorblindness. And Neil suggests that while the X-Men were created to promote acceptance amongst all people, by the creators using primarily white, primarily male characters, it allows the general white male audience to appropriate the struggles of marginalized people. So, for example, a fan can try and associate them being labeled as a comic book nerd as to having similar experiences and shared struggles as those within Black, Asian, and Latino communities. Just kind of jacked up. (laughs) Um, Lastly, Marvel's pockets are funded by the fandom. That's not a secret. It's the fans, there's fans who were fans of the comics and they then watch the movies because they they're just a fan of the franchise or there's fans who are dedicated solely to the cinematic universe um but due to the overwhelming whiteness within the fandom covert encoded racism have a huge influence in what gets portrayed on the screen um it's symbolic consumption it's based on pierre bordeaux's theory of cultural capital in which fans create an economy in which people invest in to create capital. While this kind of is like a generalization, fans believe that they have ownership over the characters and their stories because it resonates with us. Um, And I can even, I mean, I I call myself a Marvel fan. Um, And like Storm is my favorite character. I just love her as a character and I feel like her story kind of resonates with me. So I understand it from that perspective. But, you know, because they hold ownership over what the character is, what's comic canon in the comic book becomes law and that's like bible doing this that kind of helps my point um by a student at william and mary her name is ashley richardson and this was in her undergraduate thesis she said and i'm paraphrasing the quote because i added a little bit in to kind of make it fit what i'm saying 
is that fans grew up reading about Dr. Strange's Orientalist adventures, internalized those messages of Asian people and Asian culture, and to this day hold those messages as if they are true. While the Marvel comic book fandom isn't a monolith, the overwhelming whiteness of the fan base is prevalent enough that it is deemed acceptable when fans are angry when the system contradicts white racial logic. I mean, and that heavily plays into the casting and what films get made. Then to kind of tack on to the end of this, the fans become the writers. Um, and that's something that's happened before. I mean, most of the directors of the films say that they are fans of the comics. And that's what kind of ultimately leads to the misrepresentation is that those beliefs and ideas that we get through media, through Marvel itself, you know, is what leads to creating more misrepresentations. So kind of with all that being said, here are the examples that I could find of Marvel retconning or the MCU retconning and addressing the misrepresentations of Asian and Asian Americans. The first one is kind of the easiest to go through. There's the character of Ned Leeds. He's Spider-Man's best friend. In the comics, he is white. And in an effort to create a more diverse coming-of-age film, they casted Jacob Batalone, who is a Filipino-American. They also casted Zendaya. And I will say the casting of Zendaya as MJ was a lot more controversial than than casting Jacob, but it still kind of is the same kind of issues. Um, in Spider-Man Homecoming, Ned was portrayed as a dorky, lovable sidekick. And while that is a step forward in progression, having him be part of the main cast, um, Ned was still a side character with no backstory. And in the sequel, they kind of addressed that by giving him a little bit more depth and implemented the relationship with Betty Brant, who is actually his wife in the comics, which I found to be very interesting. The second instance deals with the film we just watched and we reviewed. Um, in special edition Marvel number 15, both Shang-Chi and his father, Fu Manchu, were introduced. Um, you know, like we talked about before, Fu Manchu is the racist stereotypical character that is used to represent fears of yellow peril. Um, and when it came to the film, you know, we've already talked about this, so I won't go too, too much more into detail about it. The writers had to address how to fix the racism embedded into that character. Um, the character was rewritten to be, uh, his name was Zhang Zhu in the character in a separate run, but he was still very racialized and stereotypical of that Fu Manchu type character. Um, so when they came to the film, when they created Win Wu, they had to make sure that he wasn't just hell-bent on destroying the world and that he wasn't using mystical powers that white people broader audiences outside of chinese you know asian cultures could understand they also had to address the character of the mandarin so both in the one shot all hail the king and the film the writers made sure to note that the real leader of the ten rings was insulted by the name comparing it to mandarin's the fruit cup and the chicken dish and that he wanted his name and identity back so that's that one the third is the doctor strange saga but i've already gone through that and then last but not least is the latest mcu film eternals um i know you haven't seen it so i'm gonna try to keep this as spoiler free as possible while race never played a factor in the characters themselves the exposure of diverse people played a significant role. Gilgamesh, played by Don Lee, subverts all Asian stereotypes by being an Asian man who is in a deep relationship with Thena, 
And while it's not explicit if the relationship was romantic or platonic, there's still pure love there. Cersei, on the other hand, though she is somewhat demure, it's on purpose. Um, she's a nurturer, she's a thinker, she holds compassion for people. And while both of her partners, current and previous, are white, which I had somewhat of a problem with, it's still used to juxtapose the question of the film. Does one choose the Eternals or does she choose humanity? Also, oddly enough, the first sex scene in the Marvel film was between a Chinese woman and a Scottish man, um, and it was something. So <laughs> moving on, um, you know, while the representation for the characters were really, really, really good, there was one scene that doesn't quite hit the mark, in my opinion, even though I know that Chloe Zhao and the team of writers had very pure intentions. Um, Fastos, who is the first gay superhero, who is the quote unquote technology eternal, is hinted at being indirectly responsible for the atomic bombs that the U.S. dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And while it does work for the storytelling purposes, it kind of waters down the severity of the wartime atrocity for the sake of plot progression. And, you know, to use mass deaths and live, the lived trauma of so many Japanese people for a fictional character's character arc seems a bit exploitive. And then to like further place the blame of all of that on the head of a gay black man, when we all know that the atomic bombs were the brain children of white men, multiple white men, it's kind of in poor taste and it's kind of careless. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what I did my research on. I found like a lot of stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of information you found there. Um, so yeah, so I guess kind of to start wrapping up, what do you think, like, as an overall whole, like, what did you take from this film? What did you take from your research? Why do you think Asian superheroes are important? Kind of, like... Yeah. So, I truthfully think this film was a great experience. And I think digging deeper into this film for the purpose of this class was also great. Um, mm -hmm. It gave me so much context on this film to really recognize the importance of this film. And so based on the research, I mean, I think like it's summarized best by what they already said in the Assemble documentary was mm -hmm. it's a step in the right direction, but it can't be the last step. Yeah. Um, we're really beginning to call out Marvel for its past and recognizing how things were racist mm -hmm. and before, and we're trying to correct those. But I think we also have to have hold Marvel accountable for what they've done. Yeah. I um I asked a friend who watched Eternal or not Eternals, Shang-Chi, and she is Vietnamese American. Her name is Jillian, so shout out to you, Jillian. We love you. Um she, you know, was telling me like how important it is just to see mm -hmm. herself in it. And like she was watching the film with her family and it's just like you wanna see yourself on screen, you know, and especially see yourself in a non-stereotypical role, like where you're not like over-sexualized or used for like the punchline or a perpetual foreigner, like you just get to see yourself be a person, which I really appreciated. And then I think I just kind of want my last point to be that like, today I watched an interview with Simu with MTV and he said something that kind of just hit me a little different. It's, he said that, like, there's so much value, like, aside from, like, the what I can take for this and, like, what my culture can take from this, 
he was saying that like there's so much value in sharing cultures and being a bridge to sharing stories cross-culturally mm-hmm. and that the reason that he loved black panther and into the spider-verse so much was because it was sharing in other people's cultures and even though he can't relate by the end of the film he came to a greater understanding of that person's experience and culture and i think that just applies to like meet both of us you know like you're white i'm black and like you know we don't know about the chinese we don't know about chinese culture we don't know about you know i could say we probably know a little bit more about chinese american culture still without total understanding of it but like just to be able to see it and be like even though i still don't fully understand chinese culture that's obvious you don't get that from a two-hour film but like i have a little bit more understanding and appreciation for it which i really appreciate and it's not it's not lost on me how important this is going to be to younger generations like literally had a trick-or-treater come to my apartment dressed as shang chi and he was so excited about it and it really just like it you can tell that it means to to be i could not imagine being a little kid and finally having this representation i just hate that this film had to come out during covid yes because like just seeing the impact that black panther had when it released for kids, I so, so wish that that same thing could have happened without having to, like, worry about yourself, yeah. your, like, health and safety. But I will say I kind of like that it came out now because of the anti-Asian That's true. hate yeah, that yeah, we've yeah. experienced in the past the mm-hmm. past two years as a, because of COVID. Um, I think that having this come out now, although I wish it would COVID didn't exist and it would have came out in non-COVID times. Mm-hmm. I think that it coming out now was a really good a good thing to happen because it, it's gonna help with some of that. I th- I think. I mean, yeah. film is very powerful, and I think yeah. um, people seeing this character on screen, it's really gonna help with mm-hmm. that sentiment. Yeah. So that is our episode for today. Don't forget to like and subscribe and leave a comment and we will be back next week. Next week.